Welcome to The Higher Edge, a podcast for the brightest minds in higher education to hear from the change makers and rule breakers that are driving meaningful, impactful change for colleges and universities across the country. From improving operations to supporting student success, these are the stories that give you The Higher Edge. And now, your host, Brendan Aldridge. Hey, everyone, and welcome to The Higher Edge. I'm Brendan Aldrich, and I'm here today with Roberta Highland, who is the Chief Data Officer for the National Student Clearinghouse. The NSC is a nonprofit, non-governmental organization that works with not just colleges and universities, but high schools, educational organizations, and states to help better inform practitioners and policymakers to enable informed decision-making. Now, the fast fact, the National Student Clearinghouse currently works with over 3,600 colleges and universities across the country, and really is the acknowledged national leader in accounting for over 17.6 million students across the country and verifying their enrollments uh, and educational achievements. Roberta, welcome, and thanks so much for joining us here on The Higher Edge. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Now, Roberta, you've been with the National Student Clearinghouse for over 15 years now, and you've seen the organization grow quite a bit, but let's start with your own journey. Uh, did you always think about becoming a chief data officer, or did you have a different focus for your career originally? Originally, I did my undergraduate work, let's call it the mid-90s, in international relations, German and Russian. So very much a liberal wow. arts background, but very different. And, I mean, I reflect back on my journey, and at that time, it's not like anyone ever said, oh, I want to go to college and become a college registrar. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew about that type of professional experience. But I had the benefit of working on the the college campus and then worked for a while in the education finance industry, student loans. And that enabled me to see this entire new arena of a potential career. And I started working with a lot of data in even in the education finance industry. And I went looking for a, a higher education degree. Actually, I looked for project management degree first, experimented with that for a little bit, but then found a master's of higher education program that I really liked. Um, And it's because it was an enrollment management focused master's program. And so that needless to say resonated really well with the work that the clearinghouse does. And so I moved from the education finance industry over to the clearinghouse and working with data. And that's how I developed my passion. I've done um, a variety of different roles at the Clearinghouse, ranging ranging from the supervisor of customer service, obviously, to my current position as chief data officer. I spent a lot of time in the research services area. That Obviously, that built my knowledge of data, but it really became my, my passion working with data. And so here I am as a chief data officer. That's fantastic. Now, you know, not everyone may know that the National Student Clearinghouse was founded almost 30 years ago, back in 1993, and really has become the nation's central repository for student data, with over 97% of students in both public and private institutions represented, as well as, I think it's 70% now, of secondary students enrolled in the country's high schools. But the goal of the NSC goes well beyond just data collection, doesn't it? Definitely does. I would say that organizationally, if we were just focused on data collection, we would be very unhappy with ourselves. We are a mission-driven organization, and being nonprofit, non-advocacy, non-governmental organization, 
it means we get to focus on how do we help the education community and ecosystem. So our president, Rick Torres, often refers to the Clearinghouse as a data collaborative more than a collection because our, our whole focus is if, if we're leveraging data from an institution and we're working with an institution's data, there's a couple things that we want to, to achieve. We want to provide value back to that institution because the fact that they're giving us their data, they need to receive value. That value can come in a couple of different ways. One, how can we help them understand more about themselves and their learners than they be able to, may, may be able to do independently on their own? And two, how do we help them relieve administrative burdens? So when you, when you look at what we do, uh, we're, we're looking for ways to take work off the plates of the institutions administratively so that they can spend more time focused on the things that really add value to their students and learners. And two, how can we help them understand um, things that they may not inherently be able to see? And that's where it comes into that collaboration and collaborative because it's because we work with so, so many different entities in the education ecosystem that we have the ability to help the smallest institution all the way to the largest institution. And that's what, um, is, that's what drives us every day. It's fundamental to our mission, and that's what makes us happy. And that collaboration pays some real dividends. Uh, the National Student Clearinghouse provides a variety of services, as you are mentioning, to participating institutions that have saved those institutions more than $750 million a year. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what some of those services are that you provide? Sure. Uh, we started with a service around what I'll call compliance activities. It goes back to that foundation, educational reporting to the U.S. federal government, NSLDS, and student loan providers. And so that process, when the Clearinghouse f- first started, was all paper-based. Uh, there, It was an environment where there was a lot of discussion about students and technical defaults. And a technical default is when a student's enrolled in college, but the people who need to know didn't know it. And it's because paper deferment forms uh, or paper rosters of information were not getting where they needed to go. Kids today probably can't even imagine what a paper roster would be. But <laughs> we worked uh, with the education community and developed a way to do that electronically. Um, And so building that process of how do you take information for a compliance purpose from educational institutions, help them have better data that can then be provided forward to those student loan organizations and the U.S. federal government appropriately, respecting privacy and all of that. And what that meant was they no longer had to have staff filling out paper deferment forms. They could literally box them up to us. The rosters went from paper to electronic exchanges between us and the loan servicers and the, and the U.S. federal government. And so that allowed them not to decrease their staff, but to redeploy their staff to things that were more meaningful for learners. And we followed that pattern throughout our history. The next was about degree information. So often schools were bogged down with answering phone calls about did the student actually receive the degree that they claimed on their resume? And instead, we were able to, once again, collect that information and do that in an electronic, permission-respecting, consent-respecting manner so that that could, once again, take that work off the institution, allow them to redeploy those resources. 
Um, but then it gets to the additional value add. It's how that, those could have just been services for providing data, very task oriented. And instead, then we looked at it and was like, well, what else can we do for the institution? What else helps an institution and the community? And it was like, we can help them understand what happens to their students when they leave. Are they really withdrawing or dropping out or are they really transferring and how that can help an institution understand um, what's working and what's not working. And so this pattern repeats in the clearinghouse's history. Um, some of our newest activities, the post-secondary data partnership, uh, focusing on even that next level of information about how do you understand credit accumulation and are students making progress or are they simply accumulating credits? And our research center published some data recently on a study of that and we'll continue to do that. So we balance how do we help the institutions specifically and directly and then we also try and do at an aggregate level provide these views at the national level to inform the research community on what's working, what's not working in education. You know, Educause talks about digital transformation in a couple of different steps. There's the digitization versus digitalization. You know, and you're talking about that first original step of digitization. How do we just take these paper processes and forms and turn them into an electronic or digital uh, uh, process? But then there's that idea of digitalization. How do you then go beyond that? How do you redesign those processes to take advantage of the technologies and tools? And then, as you mentioned, the research that comes out on top of that, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Now, as we both know, institutions across the country really are individually distinct, whether it's by size, culture, uh, mission, or focus. How does the NSC incorporate the distinct identities of your member institutions into the work that you do? I would say it starts with the fact that we're mission-driven. So when you're mission-driven and you're focused on a diverse ecosystem like education, from the smallest institution to the largest institution, from the least resource to most resource, and you say in your mission you want to help them all, that's fundamental to acknowledging the fact that they're different. And we want to support them all. We don't want to say, oh, we're only going to provide services that apply to the elite. So the way we look at our services is we try and provide a path for the institution to grow at the pace that they can. So, for example, going straight to something like, oh, we have this great API for you. It, some institutions may be like, oh, my goodness gracious. Um, so instead, we follow a methodology that sometimes you can see in our transcript services as an example. So we call fast, faster, fastest, that progression. So it can start with something simple that it relieves administrative burden for the institution by giving them an interface so that those students can log in, place the order, we handle the credit card. Um, the, st the institution still has to provide the transcript and they can um, upload it or they will do the mailing and then roster that it's been sent. All those, all those types of ways to still fulfill that request. But we've relieved some administrative. They don't have to worry about uh, the credit cards and the credit card fees and all that good stuff. Um, so that's easy. That would be relatively easy. The next stage enables some more automation in it, some more electronic transmission. Uh, um, to deliver those transcripts. And then fastest is that type of integration. 
But by giving those steps to the institutions, you really get to embrace the entirety of the diverse education community. Because while in the, edu- in the education system, sometimes we're like, oh gosh, every school's different. That's the beauty of the US education system, it's diversity. Sometimes it can be a challenge, but ultimately that's also the strength of our system. And so it's challenging for a provider to be able to span that entire breadth of the ecosystem, but when you're mission-driven, you're there for the diversity of the education system, and that's what we focus on. Hey, for everyone listening, hang tight. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be back in just one minute. All colleges and universities face challenges in advancing the mission of higher education. Some problems impeding your progress are known, but others are invisible, hidden, impossible to address. Invoke Learning changes everything. Built on revolutionary technology that's light years beyond anything you've seen yet, our leading edge data platforms and deep analytic solutions give institutions of higher education some real life superpowers to support the entire student journey. Ask questions you never imagined could be answered. Get unprecedented insights that lead to mission impacting action. What's holding you back today from taking your mission further tomorrow? Find out and discover just how far you can go. Contact Invoke Learning at www.invokelearning.com. Invoke Learning. This is education empowered. Thanks so much for listening to our sponsor. Let's get back to the show. You know, there's something that you've mentioned uh, several times now that I think is so important is that idea of mission-driven. I know that I worked in a number of industries before shifting over into higher education. It was one of the things that really stood out to me about higher ed was I'd never really worked within an organization that had as many people who were as mission-driven as, as, as higher ed. No matter what your role was, it seemed like you had this focus on how that role was going to improve Uh, operations or support student success. Mm -hmm. And so now you've talked about the mission-driven focus of the National Student Clearinghouse. Uh, Talk a little bit about how that shapes the way you work with institutions uh, compared to other organizations. Being mission-driven for the Clearinghouse, it really informs what we're doing with the services. That construction like we've talked about to make sure that the services are accessible to every type of institution, we really strive for that. We're always looking for the value that we can provide to the ecosystem. And whether it is to create specific services or is it research that we can put in the public space in order to spur on conversation, help people understand transfer behaviors, help people understand the impacts of COVID, help institutions understand are students transferring or are they graduating or are they pursuing graduate school? What does student swirl look like? So really, in order to achieve our mission, we not only have to be very good in service delivery and, once again, being there to help schools understand, so that's very important to us, but it's also how do you help the entire ecosystem uh, become better and provide research in the public space. Often one of our challenges is the fact there are so many things that we see that we could help the education community with. We have to make choices. 
And so we do try and make choices based on what we think will help the education community to the greatest extent, and then work on uh, being personal with the individual institutions and helping them grow at the pace that they are able to grow. As opposed to, and, and this is not to say it's a negative thing for those companies, but as opposed to those organizations that are thinking about what products do I focus on next that are going to generate the most profit, for example. Correct. There are a lot of for-profit firms, technology providers that are working with institutions in the higher education space. Often I reflect the fact that you say education, nonprofit, and technology, and that, that seems like a dichotomy. But because the Clearinghouse is a nonprofit and non-governmental, it absolutely shapes the way we think about and engage with institutions. Being not-for-profit, obviously we have to cover expenses, but yet we're not profit-driven. And the other part of it is, how do we deliver that value? And that value is, is not only money, but it's really, it, it isn't about a sale. It's about what is going to help the institution. And then we actually use a metric of, are our services being used by the institution? And if an institution signs up for a service, but they're not using it, that's not a success. Now, I'd love to get your thoughts on this one. Having spent a fair time, uh, on my part, working for some of the larger college and university systems in the country, I know that there can be a perception on the part of vendors working in the space that, you know, it's the, you know, every institution thinks they're unique or a snowflake, but, you know, they aren't really as different as they think they are. Now, given the perspective of the National Student Clearinghouse, I'd imagine you probably disagree with that. I do. Like I mentioned previously, one of the strengths of the U.S. education system is its diversity. Different institutions do have different missions, and that can definitely manifest itself in different processes, different calendars, uh, different mechanisms of delivery of education to students. And so it's an interesting challenge from a data perspective because you do want to think about data as as common and relatable and standardized in some respects as possible. But you have to still do that within the context of the institution and not lose the uniqueness of the, the institution and what it's doing. Because if you don't do that, then you have just sta- standardized out the things that actually make individual institutions different and successful. So data from an institution, you really will... There's a reason why you would normalize data, but you still have to do that only as your starting point, and then still make sure that you understand the unique characteristic and uniqueness of the institution and how it shows up in the data to truly understand what's going on in education. One of the things that we did right from the beginning at the Clearinghouse was make sure that institutions could tell us uniqueness in their academic calendars because institutions are in all not semester systems. There's trimesters, there's quarters. Um, There are programs that are one year in length. There are programs that are one week in length. Think about competency-based education. You have to be able to think about how programs are trying to meet students and learners where they are because that's what learners want. That's what learners need. And that's going to impact how you're working with an institution. It's going to work. It's going to impact what they need. Uh, It's going to impact how their learners look. 
And if you ignore all that glorious context um, and zap it out of the data, you aren't going to understand what's working and what's not working. So you have to play the balancing act. How do you look at the data and enable relationships to other institutions and their data, but you can't lose the uniqueness of the institutions. It doesn't help anyone. Now, there's an element of the work that you do that I love and is not necessarily obvious to people, and that comes to when disaster strikes a part of our country. We often think about the Red Cross and the first responders that are working with the people who have lost their homes, they've lost their livelihoods, uh, and more during those times. What we don't always think about are the schools and the students that are impacted by natural disasters and more. Uh, But the National Student Clearinghouse has a focus here as well. Yeah, and this is one of those things that you don't think about until you live it. Obviously, the United States experiences hurricanes, different types of disasters. We've, We've even done stuff because areas of the country get impacted by wildfires. But in the case of Hurricane Katrina, what we did was... The timing of that storm, I mean, no, no timing is good, but the timing of that was right at the beginning of a semester. So students were being evacuated. They were ending up, a lot of students obviously ended up in Texas, but some were trying to get home. They were ending up in all different parts of the country. And the devastation hit. The institutions that were impacted could not restart classes. And so... The institutions, the Department of Education, they were all looking for ways to help the students. And providing information to the institutions about where did their students end up, um, helping the Department of Education understand those moves so that uh, financial aid could follow those students and they could handle that. There was so much collaboration between that uh, during those times. And... Then studying um, and helping institutions understand longer term what did ha- what happened to those students who were impacted by Hurricane Katrina. It was something that we we never expected to ever play this role, but it was very heartening to once again mission driven, uh, looking for how we could help the education come through that, do what was best for the students and learners, and we actually came out of that talking about how do we help institutions ultimately with disaster recovery? Because that's kind of what you're talking about. And so having these conversations as natural disasters continue to occur about, okay, fires are getting close to your campus. What data have you reported to the clearinghouse? How can we make sure um, that you know that we've got the most updated data so that if your campus has to close we're still taking care of your verification requests. We're still providing data to the U.S. federal government until they get waivers set up and all that good stuff. Um, and so it's, it's once again, it's the benefit of being mission-driven, helping the community that it's, it's now part of our process that we're like, okay, where are disasters occurring and what conversations do we need to have with, with the institutions in those areas? And as you mentioned, disasters of all kinds. I mean, we've got tornadoes, we've got hurricanes, we've got growing up in Southern California, absolutely we have wildfires. And uh, and it really is kind of a, and not meaning to draw too much of an analogy here, but uh, kind of a no student left behind. Let's make sure that we don't lose track of uh, any of our students who are being impacted by a disaster like that. Yeah, the same way we've talked about the impacts of COVID and 
does that create a lost generation? It, it's, it's a similar parallel that you don't want there to be a lost population or cohort of students because they were impacted by some type of disaster. Which in itself, I remember there was um, a rather large K through 12 public school system uh, during the beginning of the pandemic that was sending messages out to, uh, to parents uh, about the steps they were taking to ensure students were, were engaged and still receiving uh, education in those early years, or early, early years, early days yeah. of the pandemic. And uh, years is, is kind of where we felt, but, yeah. but in the early days of the pandemic. And I remembered one time there was an email I saw that they had sent to parents that had talked about how they had increased engagement from 70 to 77% over mm. the previous week which sounded fantastic until you actually looked at how they were calculating engagement. Yeah. And engagement was that the student had logged in at least once that week to the online learning platform. And, you know, such just when you take a look at the idea of students being in class for six or eight hours a day versus they logged in once that week. Mm -hmm. And it really does create that, that concern for a lost generation that you're talking about, you know, and, and, we're just getting into that now in terms of the studies talking about what has been the learning loss. Right. Um, you know, what, what's going to have to happen in order to make sure that these students that have been impacted over the course of the pandemic uh, have that chance to still move forward as confidently and as successfully as previous generations. Yeah, and where that's shown up for us, we, we do work in the uh, secondary space as well, and we help them understand what happens to their students after they graduate. They can research, for example, like in entry ninth grade cohort do they actually complete um, high school and then do they go on to college and what does that college journey look like and that is one of our areas of research understanding the impact of COVID are fewer students making that transition from high school to college um, if they enter college are they not staying as long are they not and so it's all longitudinal research, so you watch it, obviously, as time passes, but even those initial indications of what's going on with learners as they progress or as they disappear, it's why we want to get the information out there as quickly as we can, because that's how you can more quickly impact the learner. Um, understand if there's an opportunity to intervene and say, we do have a path for you. We we can get you back into the fold and you can be successful because uh, the long-term impacts, uh, if we don't do that, are probably not cheery. Roberta, one of the things that I love to ask us on the show is whether or not you have a story from your own career that helped to shape the way that you approach your work. Is there something that you could share that might give our listeners the higher edge in their own work? Sure, and this would probably make my colleagues at the Clearinghouse laugh. One of the things that I've done um, is a volunteer activity, coaching high school speech and debate and running a local de debate league in uh, D.C., Northern Virginia, and part of Maryland. I've been doing that for 16 years. Um, and so I've spent a lot of time coaching, interacting with people, telling stories, and I've, I've taught in higher education as an adjunct member of faculty. When you think about that experience and going through those types of interactions, helping students learn about speech and debate, and then you bring it into data. That, that is one of the, the key things that it was like unexpected as far as how much the speech and debate skill, um, the teaching and the coaching behaviors 
are so beneficial in helping people with data and not being afraid of data. You know, we sort of talk about fear of math. Fear of data is there too. And so those coaching skills, um, being willing to have those conversations about storytelling, data literacy, um, all those things have been tremendously beneficial in my career. And then the other one is that intellectual curiosity. Um, this is probably also a joke in some respects that I'm sort of the poster child for inter- intellectual curiosity because I'm always asking questions, so always le- looking to learn. But I'm also always looking to help other people learn and come along that learning journey with me. And so that's what makes data fun. That's what makes a chief data officer being fun because you're constantly looking for ways to help other people learn more about data, not be afraid of data and build their data skills and storytelling with data skills. That's why I love data. As somebody who competed in high school on the varsity Oxford style debate team and then did a competitive speech at Cal State LA during my, my bachelor's degree, love the fact that you're involved in those. I don't find that funny at all. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> for our listeners, we've been talking with Roberta Hyland, the Chief Data Officer for the National Student Clearinghouse. Roberta, if there are listeners that would like to reach out to you with questions about today's episode or to continue the conversation, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? So they can reach out to me via LinkedIn or my clearinghouse email address, which is Highland, which is spelled H-Y-L-A-N-D, at Student Clearinghouse, it's all one long word, dot O-R-G. And are there any specific resources that they should know about or websites that they can go to to learn more about the National Student Clearinghouse? Definitely go to our Research Center website, www.nscresearchcenter.org, and that has all of our published research, national and even some state-based work, Great information there. And then the Clearinghouse website, www.studentclearinghouse.org, is also a great resource about all of our services. Well, Roberta, such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks again for coming on and being a guest with us uh, here on The Higher Edge. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, and for everybody listening, I'm Brendan Aldrich, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to The Higher Edge. For more, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, Leave us a review if you loved the show and be sure to connect with Brendan on LinkedIn. Know someone who's making big changes at their higher ed institution that belongs on this podcast? Drop us a line at podcasts at thehigheredge.com. The Higher Edge is sponsored by Invoke Learning in partnership with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by individuals during the podcast are their own. See how Invoke Learning is empowering higher education at invokelearning.com.